Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. How we doing, Venue Church? Are we all good? You guys had a scramble and do an unplugged. I love an unplugged. I just love the feel right in the room here. You know that uh, God knew what you needed to hear before you did this morning, before you did this week, and before you messed uh, everything up this week. I preached about anger last week. Like, what were you expecting was going to happen, y'all? But before that, God knew. And before that, Jesus came down. I love life in Christ because we don't have to uh, figure it out on our own. I, th- I think the world tells us, like, you got to figure it out. you got to be everything to everybody. I don't know. I don't go for that. I, I don't think I'm that smart. <laughs> I feel like you should have been more supportive there. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not insecure. We're closing off our, our bad timing series today with a sermon about humility and how humility how humility works. How well you play in the sandbox depends on what it is that you're building and who it is that you're building it for. How well do you play in the sandbox? First Corinthians uh, chapter three. Um, I feel like this door behind me, Amy, could maybe be shut. I don't know if we're getting some lead through there. First Corinthians chapter three and verse 6, Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthian church, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important, he says, who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. But, in brackets, it's God who makes the seed grow. If you think that it's up to you to make the seed grow, to fix everything in your life, to find that perfect job, if you think that it's up to you, you're missing the point of your existence. And how well you play in the sandbox kind of determines, it's determined from this idea of like what you think you're responsible for and what you think God is responsible for in your life. And humility is that oil in the machine that causes us to work together. See, I, I think that we're all team players I'm a team player. I'm a terrific team player as, as long as I'm the quarterback. <laughs> Just make me the quarterback and I'm, yeah, I'm all about team. <laughs> quarterback, I'm an amazing quarterback. Well, we've been talking about pride and anger and um, if, if there's uh, one thing that the devil can use to control your timing, and you might not be a God person yet, I think you've seen enough of the world to know that there is something out there trying to hurt you and trying to keep you away from God. But um, I would say that that something, the negative cosmos, or whatever you call it, uh, we call it the devil. We call him the devil. If he can get you, and this series has been so far about pride and anger. If he can get you proud and angry, he can control your timing. He doesn't even have to try all that hard. You'll set traps for yourself. You'll, you'll shipwreck yourself in your own life. And if there's one thing that pride and anger will make you do, it, it will make you panic. It'll set you in a place where you're just scrambling and snatching for your life. You'll just be constantly panicking. The devil will set you up to fail, and you will constantly be panicking. The, the wrong thing will happen at exactly the wrong time in your life. As, is anybody going through freedom session right now? The wrong thing, well, when God is trying to get that pride and anger out of your life, the wrong thing will happen at the wrong time, and it will all land, at the, and you'll, you'll just be in this panicky place. 
And yet we secretly are still trying to control our lives. I, I panic when I run out of ketchup. I just freak out. Aaron, do you know who I am? I need ketchup. Where's the ketchup? And pride and anger. Do you know? I'm a ketchup man. Do, I, do we have any guys in the room? I do this 100 times a day. You're allowed to raise your hand. That was not a trick question. Super not a trick question. It's okay. It's okay. You want to be in charge of your life? Man, I can't find something in the pantry. Every time it's like, Aaron, where's the ketchup? Your hand is on it. Aaron, I can't find the ketchup. Where's the ketchup? I panic. I start panicking. I need ketchup. My fries are getting cold. My healthy fries or whatever it is that you eat. Man, I freak out at the wrong times. When, when my life is not operating in the timing that God has indicated and provided for. Uh, somebody in my small group said this week, like, I panicked getting the kids out, out the door to school. She's like, I can't recall that we've been late to school, but every morning it's the same panic, right? Just like, oh my God, let's get out the door, get out the door. And you start freaking out. And the kids are like, you know what? We got it. Like, relax a little bit. You, you, your life is going good, and then you have an argument in your marriage, and you panic, and you try to snatch, and you try to snatch control, and you try to get in charge of it. Why? Because you're a great team player when you're the quarterback. You, you panic at work when your boss doesn't like your idea. You panic at school when your friend looks at you a little bit funny. And you look a little funny, so they, they'll do that. You, you panic. You panic when you don't know how to do something. You, you and I, we panic. And then we go into this weird little pride and, and proud and angry place that makes no sense to God. You've got to think, like, God is the ultimate father of the universe here. And, and when my daughters panic about silly little things, I think to myself, oh, that's cute. Like, just relax. I got it, right? And so... Uh, but we do that all the time, don't we? I had a friend that I worked for. I, I drove a tandem truck for, for a little while, and he was showing me how to check the, the differential oil or something. Is that a thing? That's why he was showing me. I'm a car guy. Engines, motors, carburetors, you know, stuff like that. And I, uh, he, was, he was showing me how to check the oil in the rear differential, I think, and, and he pulled the, not the check the oil plug, but the let's drain the, the oil plug. And gallon after gallon of water is pouring out on top of him in grass that's like higher than him under the truck. And he went from zero to 60 in a panic and, and proud and angry panic like this. And you know what he ended up saying? Like yelling under the truck. He's like, God, why don't you just kill me and get it over with? And I'm like, whoa, why do we go straight there? God? God's like, little dude, I didn't pull that plug, man. You pulled the wrong plug. It's not me. I didn't pull the plug in your marriage, buddy. I don't, you've been working on this for a long time. You pulled the plug. I didn't pull the plug. What are you blaming me for? But we, because we're proud and angry. See, proud and angry are like individual sins. But humility is a corporate thing. So how well you play in the sandbox, don't miss that, is because individually, you didn't get something that you wanted. Your project, your way, your feelings, your emotions. Humility is this other thing where it's like, it's not you first. It's everybody first. We before me. That's part of our family code. We before me. No, 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 not you is fine. That's great. But it's we before me. That's more important than the individual. Now, we live in an individual society, so that sounds like blasphemy. Well, I got to take care of myself. And I, okay, how is it working? Taking care of yourself. You got everything you want? You will miss your entire life. You'll miss the purpose of your life if you think that it can be found inside of your life. It, it can't be. God, just kill me and get it over with. I'm like, Marty, 
put your finger in the plug. And that's what I was yelling. Marty, Marty, just put your finger in the, in the hole, Marty. Just put it, stop the oil from coming out. You can't find the plug, it's gone. And God in heaven is like, relax. I sent Jesus, relax. Y'all are taking a little too much on yourself. I'm going to preach a little football today. You like football? I don't mean real football, that's soccer. You know, soccer is a sport that the rest of the world calls football, except for North America, but soccer is a sport that you actually play with your feet. So it kind of makes sense. Having said that, my main points are about American football. <laughs> today, I was, I was thinking, um, I don't know, do we have any New, New England fans in the house? Thinking Shannon right there, New England. Give me a hey. I, I was, uh, when you watch some of these big games and, and, you know, there's two minutes on the clock and, and Tom Brady or whoever your favorite team is, they come in and they're behind and it's panic time. But the su- successful people and the successful quarterbacks, they, they just come in and there's just something about them that you, you look at and you admire. There's something about somebody in your life that you look at and admire because there's something about them that I'm just like, what is it? I would be freaking out and panicking, man. I would be... I'd lose a shoe and not even notice. But there's something about it. And I watched an interview with Tom Brady this week. And uh, he just passed the 500 touchdown pass mark, which is a huge deal in football. I I think there's a few guys ahead of him. But he just passed his 500 thrown touchdown mark. And so they interviewed him. And they're trying to get him to talk about himself in the interview. But he wouldn't do it. This is what he said when they're talking about that. He says, a quarterback doesn't throw them to himself, guys. I can't throw them to myself. There's two minutes on the clock. And he knows who he is and he knows what he can do, but it's more than that. There's this humility that came out in that interview there that you start to understand who he has confidence in. Not just him, because he can't catch him. He can't throw him and catch him. It's not just him. It's in the team. It's in the unit. It's getting a win for the, for the team. They kept coming back to talking about himself. He says, uh, the quarterback needs people to catch him and block and defense to make plays. And he says, the coach is the coach. These are all great team awards. Now, if you're having trouble at work and somebody made you a supervisor and you're finding you don't have a lot of traction underneath you, why don't you try that sometime? you get a little praise heaped on you and you're like, oh, no, 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 it wasn't me, it was my team. They're knocking it out of the park for me. Like, it's so easy to be me. Right? He's like, I don't throw them to myself. These are all team team awards. And they're like, no, it's actually a 500 touchdown pass award that you got. And he's like, these are great team awards. They, they tried to get him to, because to, they had turned the ball over sometimes. I think he had thrown some passes that had been dropped by the receivers. He would not speak ill of his team. He says things like, no, we all need to protect the ball more. They're talking about these individual accomplishments, and he, he goes, guys, guys, it's about putting points on the board. It's about protecting the ball so that we don't get scored on and putting points on the board. It's all about points. And then he says this, he's like, you know, this week we got 38 points, but we had more in us. Last week, he goes, it was 38 points, we have more in us. There's this constant humility and, and paranoia about getting better all the time. Do you have that paranoia? Are you just looking for an award at the end of the day? Do you have that paranoia? Not for him, but for his team. Championships are everything. Not his personal award. He doesn't care about his personal award. It is a byproduct because of his humility. 
And yet under pressure, I don't know if there's anybody better than he is. But we're in this individualistic society that cares more about scoring a goal than winning a game. Oh, you don't think so. You think you're a team player. Okay, okay. Do you care if your marriage loses or if you win the argument? Sometimes you can't have it both ways. Do, do you care? Let's talk to the parents. Do you care? I was, I was visiting another small group this week. It's a venue small group now, which is awesome. But we were talking about parenting. Well, here's the, the trick with parenting is that we're tempted to spend all our energy trying to appear like a good parent rather than working on being a good parent. I would rather appear to you like I've got it together and that my kids are okay than my kids are actually okay. So all the time and energy I should be, spent, should be spending in improving myself and my skill as a parent, I spend in trying to impress you. That's why you lose your mind when your kid throws a, a tantrum at the grocery store. You don't care if they do it at home. They do it at home all the time. You care in the grocery store. Why? Everyone thinks you're a bad mom. Everybody thinks you don't know what you're doing. I said, Dad, well, how would you coming from your background? Can I just ask that? Did you have great parents? Most of you didn't. You're not born a great parent. Even if you had great parents, how would you know? Build your skill. Build your skill level as a parent. Have the humility to like, hey, this is about a family thing. The family has to win. No, no, my kid has to win. I, it can't be about me appearing like a good parent. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to admit failure. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure my children out. When we want to appear generous, but we're like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> I bought a coffee for somebody four months ago. Congratulations. But the rest of it you spent on you? God in heaven is like, I gave my son. He was crucified and tortured and hung on a cross and died for you. And you bought somebody a coffee. That's awesome. It's good. Buy the coffee. But there's so much more. There's so many more points that aren't on the board yet for your life. It's all about blocking and tackling. And, and uh, See, the humility that I'm talking about in Esther and Mordecai today... You look at what God did, this great, like, amazing thing of where he saved a nation, but, but all along the way, the things that went into that didn't look that glorious. It was just a thousand blocks and tackle, a thousand handoffs, and a thousand little passes and receipts. That's what led up to this great thing that God did, and you're looking to the great thing that God could do in your life or this deliverance that you need or your marriage that needs to be saved, and God's like, okay, so work on the little stuff, because I can't do it if you don't work on the little stuff. You think that you'd be good with it in a game? You're not good in practice, so get good in practice. Pass, shoot. I mean, do what you've got to do to learn those little skills of parenting and, and marriage and friendship and doing your schoolwork and the disciplines, the disciplines. It's all about the discipline. The discipline of working together. The discipline of going through something like Freedom Session so that your kids don't struggle with the same things that you've been struggling with and the same things your parents struggled with and the same, somebody's got to stop it. A thousand blocks and tackles, a thousand hard conversations, a thousand times crying because you thought you were further ahead than you were. And God's like, no, just relax. I already knew this. This is not a huge surprise in heaven. Everybody around you's got to live with you. We already knew. It's okay. Just keep moving forward. Just keep blocking and tackling. Keep blocking and tackling. See, see somebody should be standing on your shoulders and your, your, your ceiling should be their floor. I don't know if you have kids, but that's a natural thing right there. But your friends, they, they should be standing on your... We should be pushing people forward into success. Yeah. We, we, I want you to be blessed, and I want your gift at Venue Church, and I want Venue Church to succeed, not because of that. I want it to succeed so that our city can be saved and can, can win, so that our city can come into Christ. 
So yeah, it's a little bit about the individual, but it can't be a whole lot. Mm. Esther chapter 2, at that time there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimea. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiakim of uh, Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Exiled. Catch that. They were prisoners in a different country in some regards. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Now, as a result of the king's decree, we found, uh, I'm not going to re-preach what we've already gone through. Um, as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Now, keep in mind here that, that you constantly, and I constantly look to the situation that if the situation was, would, would improve, that I could act better. This is not a good situation that these people are in. They didn't even start in a good situation. They were taken captive. Like their, their heritage and their country and their people are shattered and all over the place. You think that Mordecai, if, if Esther is like his daughter, you think I want one of my daughters going to the king's harem? This is hard times. I don't think she had a choice. This is not like a, oh, I got to go be, yeah, you and a bunch of others. That's not what I want for my girls. You're not feeling, nobody else has daughters? Like, I, we're in the middle of this hard time is where we find these two. Hagar was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also signed her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace. And he moved her and her maids into the best place in the, in the harem. Isn't that interesting? What kind of favor is on a humble person? She's not, she's not begging for notoriety. She's just who she is. Esther, listen, had not told anyone of her nationality and family background, which in the previous two sermons, you, you know why now. Because Mordecai, listen, had directed her not to do so. Are you starting to get a feel for their relationship and the humility it would take to be a part of this thing? Mordecai had directed her not to do so, which means that she chose to obey Mordecai more than Mordecai's thoughts and Mordecai's opinions more than her own. If she hadn't, the nation couldn't have been saved, I'll bet. This is why you teach your children to obey you in the home. It's not because you're the world's smartest person. They already know that. But you do know more than they know. And they need to listen if they want their life to not be destroyed one day. It's important that your children respect you. It's important that you are worth respecting in your home. He had directed her not to do so. You mean he suggested? No, he directed. Y'all are Canadians. That's why you don't understand. It's not the Ten Suggestions. It's the Ten Commandments. God's kingdom is a kingdom. It's not a democracy. You don't like God. You don't get a vote to another God because you'll just vote for you. You'll have one vote. Somebody else I'm preaching, I guess. Now, she goes into the king's harem. The king desires to see her. It's interesting that, that she was so humble that the Haggai, who was in charge of, of this whole, like, hey, let's find the king a new wife thing, uh, she didn't do anything but what he suggested. So he said, wear this. He said, act like this. King likes this kind of perfume. She, she went with all of his suggestions. And then she saw the king. The king was so impressed with her that the king decided because of her humility, there was something sweet about her spirit. And because of that, King decided, okay, this is going to be my new wife. This is going to be the queen of all 
all the kingdom. Uh, verse 19, then we go to this part, even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official. So he'd been given like a low level job in the palace, Mordecai, her, her cousin. Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. I just thought it was important to point this out. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. Are you starting to get a feel for why she could be trusted? Yeah. A thousand blocks and tackles, a thousand. Okay, Mordecai, I'll, I'll, I'll help with the cooking. Okay, I'll sweep. Okay, I'll do these. I'm not above any of these things. I'm not above. If you think that you're above it, you'll, you'll, you'll never have anybody working for you who, who does anything else. You're, you're disgruntled because your employees don't do what you want them to do and have terrible attitudes. Well, it comes from somewhere. Oh. Somebody else? It comes from somewhere. Your kids, it comes from somewhere. But this thing had happened in, in the home where she's just like a thousand little blocks and tackles, a thousand little like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. I get to do that. I get to, that's how we say it around here. I get to do that. I don't have to. I don't have to come early and set up. I get to. I get to. I love people so much. I get to. And then watch what happens with Mordecai. One day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thana and Teresh, who were Guards at the door of the king's private quarters became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. Listen, he gave it to Queen Esther. I love that. She then told the king about it and then gave Mordecai credit for the report. It doesn't seem like much, but it's really, really important. You can trust somebody who gives the credit away. They're not in it for themselves. They're in it for the team to win. So... So he finds out about this thing. He doesn't go through the normal channels because he doesn't need the glory of that, but he, he also wants it to take as, as short a time as possible, I think. You just imagine the court intrigues. If he's got to go through the proper channels, he's this minor guy, nobody cares about him. How long would it take and maybe the king's dead by then? Now this king was, you know, in all respects a jerk, so maybe that wouldn't have been such a bad thing in his mind, and yet he was very loyal to him as well. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to talk to Esther about that. And then Esther talks to the king and tells the king that Mordecai did it, but the king's a jerk, and nothing happened for a really long time. It says, when an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. Sorry, it's in the Bible. I don't know what it is with the Persians and the Medes impaling people on sharpened poles. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. You don't get this because you're Canadian. And thank God we live in a country protected in some regard by God. Thank God that your kids aren't worried about what their kids were worried about in this country, but this is the hard time. You think that God can't save you from your trouble? You don't even have trouble compared to what these guys are doing. God, if God is big enough here, God is definitely big enough for your tiny little problems. But then it says nothing happened for a really long time. So Mordecai does this. He doesn't really get credit from anybody. Nothing happens for a really long time. See, if you're proud, you're demanding the credit because you need it right now. There's something inside of your soul that needs it right now. I need my husband to, I need it right now. I need it right now. And God's like, why would you go to some, a human when I could give it to you? Your dad left when you were young and you're looking for it. And men, look, you cannot find that sort of thing in another person. And a father in a mother's role is just that the respect and honor that I get from my kids. My whole point in this thing, in the parenting thing is to, is to relay that and just transfer that to God. Because I want God to be their God. I don't want to be their God. I'm not God. I'm, ter I'm terrible some days. But I want to transfer that to God. And so looking for it all the wrong. But see, Mordecai didn't need that because he was humble. And a humble person sometimes has to wait. But look, God's not now is not the same as God's no. 
God's not now is not the same as God's no. And if you'll snatch it, you'll, you'll do, do what I do sometimes. The seed will go in the ground, and then I'll dig it up every couple of minutes to see how it's doing. Like it's grown, it's not grown. It's grown, it's not grown. Why is it not growing, Aaron? Why is the seed not growing? Team production, why is the seed not growing? I need to know why the seed's not growing. It's, I'm like, keep digging it up. Why don't you just relax and let us do it? Just dig up the seed. Get the seed. The seed, grow. Getting the credit. Sometimes it takes a while to get the credit. I, I think if there's any person who hasn't gotten enough credit, especially around Christmas time, I think that it would probably be Jesus. Can you imagine God's looking for a, a suicide mission? He's like, I need the human race saved. And everybody's like, they're a bunch of losers. God's like, no, no, they, they could be my children. Don't ever call them that. That could be my children. Jesus volunteers, puts his hand up. He's like, okay, so yes. I, I love people who say yes before they get asked. Hey, can you, yes? Hey, Jesus, I need, yes. I need you to go down to, yes. Earth, yes. Save the human race, yes. Hang on a cross, yes. Yes, yes. In the end, I'll, I'll get the glory at the end, Jesus, and you won't. Okay. That was the point. Sure. No, I got it. Like you preaching to the choir here. And somewhere along the way, it's going to be like, and in North America anyways, you'll, you'll have a couple of rivals at Christmas time, even though we're all supposed to be celebrating you, we're also going to be celebrating this guy named Santa. Santa. So the Prince of Heaven is going to come down and die for everybody's sins, and they're going to get all wrapped up in buying stuff for themselves and each other. And Santa, explain Santa. It's a fat gent in a red jacket that... We still kind of like from Santa to our kids sometimes because it's cute. If it was credit he came for, he came to the wrong place. Christmas time. Christmas time. I think it's time that Jesus got the credit for what he did. What a miracle that was of, of bending down to the earth and just like, okay... Born in a manger, you want to talk about humility. We think that God is proud because he's got all the cards, but he's not. He's the most humble being in the universe. He would have to be if that's what he demands from you, if that's what he's asking for from you. We're going to do a Christmas Eve service this year. At 4 o'clock at the theater here. It's on the Monday right after church, and so we get to save a set down and a take down and set up. We're just going to leave it in here. It's going to be amazing. I want to reach our city, even the, the Creasters, who only go to church on Christmas and Easter. Well, bring them here. Bring your family here, man. We'll shoot them full of the Holy Spirit, send them home, wreck them for being Creasters anymore. And you'd be like thinking about it all week, like, I should go back there. I know that I was a Creaster, and I don't even know what that word means, but that's what I was. <laughs> hey, it's hard to to hate a God that you come to know who partook in all of the sorrow that you've had in your life. Not just you, but millions and millions and millions of people. It's really hard to hate a God that loves that much. Yeah. It's easy to hate a God that you don't know. Yeah. But once you get to know him, everything changes. Yeah. See, Mordecai was willing to forego the credit. And when you're willing to forego the credit sometimes, it gives God a piece of the puzzle. 
Esther 6, that night the, the king had trouble sleeping. Now, do you remember that Esther risked her life and went in front of the king because Mordecai told her to do so? Like, okay, this decree has been written that all it's going to be a genocide of the Jews. You have to do something about this. And so she did this. She went in front of the king, risked her own life. The king reached out his, his scepter, gave her favor, yeah. gave her this tremendous favor, and all she did was invite him for lunch and Haman. So they had lunch. It must have been a, a crazy meal because all she did at the meal was invite him next, uh, the next day for lunch. And, but he's like, hey, you want 49% of my kingdom? You could have that. And she's like, just come back for lunch. That's my kind of invite. I will go anywhere for lunch, y'all. That's how, that's how Aaron landed me. Hey, you want to come over for dinner? I'm like, yes. I'm going to make, I'm going to make, yes. Cranberry, yes. Chicken, Yes. Cranberry chicken. Make cranberry chicken for me. I'll marry you too. It was good. My wife, no. I, won't, I will not marry you. The meal must have been amazing, but listen, there was something else. It wasn't just food that the king ate, because listen, remember, then Haman goes home, and, and Haman's like, hey, everything in my life is going amazing, but there's this guy Mordecai, and I want to put him on a sharpened steak, because that's what we do around here, I guess. And so he goes home, and his wife and, and crazy friends give him this plan to go and put Mordecai on this steak. And so, so then they're like, early in the morning, go and ask the king if, if he can do this, and then you can have the perfect day. How is that a perfect day? I haven't figured that out. But for him, he's so hate-filled and angry that if you're angry, there's no rules that you play, by, by the way. And the people around you walk on eggshells and they're scared to death of you because you don't follow any rules, man. When you get angry, that's it. You got your story. That's all that matters to you. Oh, that's too hard. Anyways, I'm going to go into this. So that night, that very night, watch the timing. The king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. I think it had only been raining like about seven years right now. I mean, how far can I go here? Like the, the harem... I'm having trouble sleeping. I have a thousand distractions. I'm the king of 127 provinces and I just turned on the shopping channel. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. What was in the food? I couldn't sleep. You're adding up dollars and cents and God's like, I've got so much more for your life. You have no idea. What was in the food that makes him like, I don't know. There's something else. See, the spirit of God came into the situation here and started shifting things and changing things in an impossible way that very night. He asked that a history of his reign, like he was trying to fall asleep really desperately. <laughs> the history of your, it's, you've only been reigning for seven years. Like you, you can't remember this stuff? <laughs> Apparently not. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Big Thana and Teresh. This night, early in the morning, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door, they had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give to Mordecai for this? The king asked. His attendants replied, we've told you this 15 times, you did nothing. When you're proud, all you think about is yourself. And you don't, you don't really say thank you because you think everybody owes it to you. Mm. He had done nothing for Mordecai. Wow. And they're like, we tried telling you, like, send a thank you card. Do something. We'll fill it out for you. Just sign your name or put your X or whatever you do. <laughs> you just wouldn't do it. <laughs> nothing has been done for him. Who, who's that in the outer court? See, y'all think that you got, if you got a good job, you think that you got it because you were the most qualified person. Oh, that's what you thought. God's like, there was like 20 people more qualified than you. I had an angel highlighting the employer's sheet for you. Like, that sounds like a good name. Hmm. Oh, you all thought it was you, though. 
you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and God answered your prayer and then you're like, ta-da! My people, I, because of my qualifications. Who's that in the outer court? The king inquired as it happened. Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on a pole he had prepared. Awkward. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, like you do, Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? <laughs> My dad said one time, People aren't thinking about you half as much as you think they are. You're not that important. Just relax. So he replied, listen, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with the royal thing on its head. Let the robe and horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man who the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe. And are you starting to get a feel for this? Like that outfit. I want to wear the king's out outfit. That's cool. That's creepy, y'all. That's creepy. And led through the city square and the king's horse have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. This sounds more like a four-year-old boy's dream to me. <laughs> the king's like, ah, like really? Okay. Excellent, he says to Haman. Quick, take the, ro the robes and the horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew. The Jew, I, I think that what the Holy Spirit did in a night here, that the Holy Spirit could do for you too. All of a sudden, he's starting to see this connection between Mordecai and Esther, and he didn't really understand it before. Mordecai the Jew, the Jew that the Jews were in the document that Haman had prepared that he had signed without really looking at the Jew, is starting to connect. The Holy Spirit's starting to connect something here that he could do in your story, and you've been trying to do it, and that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you trying to change your spouse's heart? You can't even change your own heart. Why don't you pray for them? It might work. Yeah. That was really good. I thought that that should be. Yeah. <laughs> leave out who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you've suggested. Who sits at the gate of the palace. You like that? When you walk by, he's still sitting. He doesn't stand and bow. He doesn't get on his face like you want, that you're all upset about. You want to stick him on the pole for. He sits at the gate of the palace. So go find the sitter. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? And he was like, I know. I know. I know where he's going to be. I know what he's going to be doing. So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai, placed them on the king's own horse, led him through the city square, shouting, this is what the king does for somebody he wishes to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home dejected and com completely humiliated. Then his, his wife and friends were like, oh, Mordecai's a Jew? Oh, you should never have done this because they're God's special people, and now you're going to be all destroyed and stuff. But like the night before, they were like, hey, you know what you should do is you should put Mordecai on a stake because he's a Jew and you hate him. So you're trying to, to, to make sense of your life, and God's like, I don't really need to make sense of it, and if you would actually, you can't understand everything that I understand and all the pieces that need to go in play. I just need you to do this little thing, and then I need you to do another little block and tackle and just another little thing, and why don't you give the credit of that away so that I can actually work in your life? And I just need a little humility and a little oil in the machine here because the gears that I'm using are pretty big, and if you keep working in there, you're just going to get all the teeth worn off of your tiny little gears. Just be humble. Just work together with your family and your friends and, and your employees and people. It's just relax a little bit more. See, the harvest is, is victory, but the seed is humility. Esther chapter 4, this is the message, and I'm going to close the sermon here. This is the message 
that Mordecai sent to Esther when Esther had something wrong in her thinking. And Esther, because she was queen, maybe thought that this decree wasn't going to affect her. But Mordecai did what Mordecai, what his job was to do, and he sent her a word of correction. Not a word of a suggestion, a word of a correction. Her heart, even though she was queen, was still open to this word of direction and hearing this word of direction, and it's one of the most important verses in the Bible, I think. It's one of my favorites anyways. I'm just going to lead into it. It says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet, listen, at a time like this, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from another place, from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. So make no mistake about it. You're in danger too. Don't think that this is not going to include you. It's not just about you and your crown. It's going to include you. If your people are consumed, it will consume you too. It's not about you getting the, the touchdown pass. If, if you, look, if your team loses, you lose too. And then he says these words that, that I want to burn into you today. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Listen, who knows if you're a mom for right now, right here and right now. Who knows if, if you're thinking about reconnecting with your family and you're right here and you're right now. Who knows if, if you have that friend right here and right now in your life. Who knows if you have this job right here and right now. Right here and right now is what you've got. And if you won't in humility obey God here, why do you, why do you look over there and hope that over there is going to be different than right here and right now? Who knows whether you came to the kingdom for such a time as this, for this time, right here and right now. Use the time that you have right here and right now. But God, you don't understand how hard it is. You don't understand how mean they are. He's like, I understand more than you could possibly understand about cruelty and, and meanness. I just need you to forgive them and let it go. I need you to be kind to them, but they're not kind. I just need you to do this thing right here and right now. I need you to apply yourself right here and right now. I need you to not give up one more day right here and right now. See, the real problem is there's this document that was written when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and passed right down to you, and then you partook in it. You signed a document that separated you forever from God because sin separates from a holy God, that there's no light in darkness. Does that make sense? God is light in him. There is no darkness at all, and we know how dark we are, and a document was signed. A document was signed with your name on it. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Haman wrote a document, and what you don't know about the end of this story is that, that in this law, that document doesn't go away, and the document written against you, it doesn't go away, but listen, listen, another document was written after. See, Mordecai got to write another document that over, it, did, it couldn't stop the first document, but what it did was it overthrew the first document. And so this document said, okay, the Jews are all, you can attack them and take all their stuff. And this other document that Mordecai wrote said, okay, you can band together and you can defend yourself. And if people come and attack you, you can attack them right back and you can take them over actually. But he said something very different. He's like, but don't touch any of their stuff. You don't need their stuff. This other document that God has written for you, and if you've never accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, there's this other document that says, this document said addicted, sinful, 
unlovable, hurt, wounded. This other document is like free, child of God, more than a conqueror, able to do anything. There's nothing impossible in this document. And that is the document that I want you to apply to your life today. Father, I pray for every person here that you would apply the real document to our lives and overwrite that other document. Come, come up. When the enemy comes in, you didn't say the enemy won't come in, but when Pharaoh comes against us and the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, the Spirit of God raises up a standard. That's, that's how that verse was supposed to be. Like a flood, the Spirit of God raises up a standard and wipes out everything the enemy was going to do and accomplishes God's will in spite of the enemy and in spite of our past. We still have a future in the Lord our God. Yeah. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.